Good evening. Thank you for being here. Just looking for a cord. There it is. Because we're going to be looking, using the screen for part of the sermon today. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to get there shortly. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, like I said, we're going to get there shortly, but before we do, um, you know that uh, it's 2018, it's the winter time, and so the Winter Olympics are coming. I'm not really much of a big Winter Olympics guy, but I really like the Summer Olympics. Uh, the Summer Olympics are two years away, and one of my favorite events in the Summer Olympics is the, the, the 4x100 or the 4x200 relays, where they hand the batons, especially the 4x100, it's just basically one lap around the track, and they are just flying. Um, it's so exciting. It happens so quickly. You know, in this day and age, we think of dream teams. You know, in basketball, you, know, you have Golden State, which has like this dream team of, of Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and even the Cavs. You know, they had Kyrie and everything. Could you imagine a track dream team? You know, I was thinking about this today, a track dream team. Like you'd have starting off in a four by 100 relay. There's, there's four people, right? So the first one would be Carl Lewis. Remember Carl Lewis back in the 80s, nine-time gold medal winner? All right, he's starting off. So he's running the first 100 meters, hands the baton off to Florence Griffith Joyner, women's 100 and 200-meter world record holder for over 30 years to this day. So she's flying around the, the track. And of course, she hands it to who else but Usain Bolt, Right? The fastest man on the planet. And so he's the current 100 meter, current 200 meter record holder, and he's flying around the track and to the home stretch, right? You got to have your strongest leg there at the, the last one, the anchor leg. And who do you think that anchor leg is? You! <laughs> you are! Now you're laughing. Why is that so funny? Now, I'm looking, looking around in the audience. Most of us are able-bodied, you know, so I mean, and it's not a far distance, right? And, and just think, if they ran fast enough, they would get in far enough of a lead where all you would have to do is just hold on to the baton and get to the end. Just don't drop the baton, right? And, and if you, we'll, we'll get enough of a lead, the other three will, that's their strategy, you know, get enough of a lead, and then you can just hold on to that baton and just finish. Don't blow it. Okay, just, so, I don't know that I would think of a dream team with me at the anchor leg. Um, maybe me with a stopwatch, you know, that would, be, that would be good. But, it's a silly illustration, and a silly point of comparison. But I'm guessing that this is probably the way the disciples felt in Acts 1 when the baton was being handed to them. Because there was very much a baton being handed to them. So let's start reading there to get some context Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> so Luke starts writing an introduction. He's, he's continuing. This is his second volume. His first volume is the Gospel of Luke. But now we have the Acts of the Apostles here. So it's his second volume. That first account, I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and, to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he 
had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of me, heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but now you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And then they go to Jerusalem. All right. So here you have the disciples who've followed Jesus for the better part of three, three and a half years. Yet very mindful of the fact that just 40 days earlier from this particular event, they really fell on their faces spiritually. They abandoned Jesus at his greatest time of human need, to be sure. They pledged their allegiance to him by saying, we would die with you. And, and they wouldn't, and they didn't. And, and he died, and they ran. And you have these disciples being so much of a ragtag band, as it were, that one of them was actually a defector. One of them betrayed Jesus and ended up taking his own life. Yet Jesus, the man that they followed... But they abandoned, albeit temporarily, was the victor. He, he conquered man's greatest enemy, death. And he rose from the dead and now was living in their presence. Surely, at this point in time, I mean, there was really nothing that man could do to stop Jesus. And so here he is. He has this body that's bearing the scars of, of, of the crucifixion, yet... Having conquered death, there he is, and, and they're about to, they're asking him, okay, so, so the kingdom's here, right? When are you going to establish it? And, and he tells them, no, it's not for you to know, but you're going to carry the gospel to the rest of the world, and then he vanishes into the sky. Baton handed. Right? I mean, imagine putting yourself in the place of these disciples. If you had done what they had done, a month and a half earlier, would you feel equipped? Or would you feel like the anchor leg of Carl Lewis, Florence Griffith Joyner, Usain Bolt? I just hope I don't blow it. That's the starting point of the book of Acts, which is really the bridge from the Gospels to the epistles. It serves as a, a really a category in and of itself. And the verse that really sums up the message of the book of Acts is the one that you see up in the screen. But you'll receive power, we read this already, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. 
I want us to briefly look at the theme, and we're going to, uh, like I said, uh, like, like Pastor said today, this is more or less an overview of where we're going here for 2018. Uh, we're going to be talking about and, and preaching through the book of Acts, and it's a long book. In, in fact, Luke, the, the author of Acts, when you combine Luke and Acts, it's actually more content in the New Testament than any other writer. So he wrote a lot. And you think Paul having written a lot of letters, but when you think of content, Luke wrote an awful lot. And there's an awful lot here that we need to get. But from the book of Acts, these two things are the most important. First of all, the gospel will spread to the ends of the earth. The gospel will spread to the ends of the earth. In fact, when you read Acts 1-8, when we just read it, it's not an imperative. Meaning Jesus isn't telling them, to do this. He already did. Okay? But this says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, even to the remotest part of the earth. He's saying this as if it's going to happen, because it is going to happen. It's inevitable. And that's much of the point of the book of Acts. And we'll actually see that there at the end. But equally as important is the fact that Christ will build his church. So Matthew 16, verse 18, right? when, when Jesus is talking to the disciples and Peter says, you know, you are the Messiah, you're the Son of God. And, and, and Jesus affirms that and says, upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is what Acts is about, the gospel spreading and the church being built. Now, simply from a layout standpoint, you could really follow Acts 1.8 in regards to geography. Okay, So we have the beginnings of Acts, which is really about the beginnings of the church. This group of believers that are baptized by the Holy Spirit, where a really supernatural event takes place, where there's these flames of fire up above them, a whoosh of wind, and tongues being spoken, and literally thousands of people being converted. What's that about? And then moving forward and the difficulties that they experience there in Jerusalem with the Jews, with their fellow countrymen, and seeing a lot of the pushback, but also seeing the growth of, the, of this body of believers. We see that really taking place in the Jewish world. So you have this introduction to the Christian mission, then you have the mission to the Jewish world. And so really the first 12 chapters of Acts are about the mission to the Jews. And we have a focus more on, um, really a, a focus more on the apostles, namely Peter and James and John. And we start to see Paul come on the scene. But really the second half, in fact a little bit more than the second half, you see the majority of the time devoted to Paul. And that is really the mission to the Gentile world. Okay, And as we study through this book of Acts, we'll see that. So just briefly, I want us to go through... Uh, part one, the Christian mission to the Jewish world. Now, before I go any further, it's important that as we look at the events of the book of Acts, that we see um, that these are not just individuals who are letting go and letting God. Okay? These aren't individuals who uh, somehow received this supernatural power and then didn't invest their own efforts or their own energies into this. That there is an ongoing 
submission and obedience to God's Word. And yet, there's also things going on that are markedly different than what happens in our day and age. And the reason why I bring both of those things up is because as you go through the book of Acts, you see things that are going to be a one-for-one in our church age. But you're also going to see see things that are markedly different And so as we read through this book, it's helpful to describe the book as descriptive, okay? Now, the reason why I say that is because there's a difference between something describing and something prescribing, okay? Make sense? This book is a story. If you were to start in Acts 1-1 and you were to go all the way through 28-31, it has a storyline, and you can follow it pretty easily. It's a narrative. But as you follow this storyline you see some pretty remarkable events. Remarkable events. You see things that we do. You see things that we don't do. You see characters come up that decide they're only going to give a certain amount of money and they die because they weren't truthful about all the money they should have given, perhaps. We don't see that happening here at Grace Church Mentor. We also see people being bitten by snakes and not being harmed. We see people walking by and their shadows over, you know, falling over, you know, handicapped individuals, and all of a sudden they're healed. And we also don't see that. But then we also see, in this chapter, a lot of preaching. In fact, we see four or five very long sermons that are heavily doctrinal. And we would think, yeah, that sounds an awful lot like what we do here. We see a lot of prayer in the book of Acts. A lot of prayer for wisdom, a lot of prayer for guidance. We say, Yeah, that sounds an awful lot like what we do. We see a lot of interdependency within believers. We see church planting in the book of Acts. And these are things that, you know, if you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard us use. So as we're reading through the book of Acts, we have to be careful not to take a situation and say, this is an exact one-for-one with what we do here at Grace Church, or here what we ought to do at Grace Church. Okay? The book of Acts is descriptive and not prescriptive. Does that make sense? Okay. Because there's a really big difference between the two. How will we know when the, Acts, when the book of Acts is talking about something that is prescriptive? Well, it will say as much there. This is what ought to be done. And then also we can use the rest of Scripture to say, okay, it supports it. For example, if you have something in the book of Acts and you have Paul speaking to that point in Acts later on in some of his letters, then we can say, yeah, that's a fair, it's a fair conclusion to say this should be prescribed here. But if we don't see that elsewhere, then we have to stand back and read it as if events that have happened. Okay? All right. So let's move our way or work our way through the book of Acts. First of all, <clears throat> Starting in chapter 1 up to chapter 2 and verse 41, you have a period which is basically the introduction of the Christian mission. You have the birth of the church. You have Christians. Um, you have individuals who are, are um, really this, 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 um, they're, they're finding their identity. And, and it's a matter of transition from what we would call the law to the period of grace, or we would just say the church. Chapter 2 is really the beginnings of the church, the event of Pentecost. And so at chapter 2 and roughly verse 42-ish, we're going to see the earliest days of the church at Jerusalem. Now, the reason why I break this 
book down in this way. And I'm not, this isn't original to me. This is actually uh, taking from a, an outline from a Bible com uh, commentator. His name's William Longnecker. The reason why we've broken it down this way is because there are these summary statements that occur throughout the book of Acts that I think are really helpful. They're summary in the sense that they look back at what's taken place and they describe what God has done through the lens of this theme that the gospel is going forward and that Christ is building his church. So if you want to follow on the verses on the screen, that's fine. If not, uh, you can turn there to Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. Acts 6, we have this pattern of, of church life going on. We have deacons actually being chosen. And then at verse 7, it says, The word of God kept on spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. All right, so certainly a Jewish flavor here in Jerusalem. This is panel number one. Number two, there were critical events in the lives of three pivotal figures. These figures were Stephen, they were Saul, and they were Peter. And so in Acts chapter 9, in verse 31 you have this summary statement of what was taking place. Again, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up. And going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. All right? So, just as a review, you have Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall be witnesses to me in, what was the first place? Jerusalem, right? Then you have Judea and Samaria, right? So it goes from local outreach to more regional. You have Judea and Samaria in particular with these particular individuals. And then you have this greater area in Judea and Samaria, in Palestine and Syria. Acts chapter 12 and verse 24. As the word continues to go forward, you have this more Gentile influence. It's starting to grow. The gospel is starting to spread outside of Judaism and are outside the Jewish nation into Gentiles area, Gentile areas. And then in verse chapter 20, 12 and verse 24, you have this statement, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. All right? So at this point now, you start to transition, or we start to see a transition from more of a Jewish-centered evangelism to more of a Gentile centered evangelism. And in fact, there's many Bible commentators that view Acts as a treatise on defending the ministry to the Gentiles. Okay? Where, how is it that Jews, who really have lived in and of themselves for hundreds of years, who've practiced their religion in and of themselves for hundreds of years, maybe even say maybe thousands of years, who've never evangelized, it's never been the responsibility of Jews to go out and tell people about Judaism. I mean, the exception, I think, maybe in the Old Testament might be Jonah, but his evangelistic message was, in 40 days you're going to die. Not exactly the good news. Um, but we, we don't see this, this evangelism, like going out to the ends of the world and sharing the gospel. In fact, the expectation was just the opposite. We see this in Rahab. We see this in Ruth, where they were responsible for coming to Israel, to Jerusalem, to acclimate to the faith 
network there, to the God-fearers there. They were responsible to come. But now you have this shift. Why are they going? And so we see this ongoing, really, explanation of events as it's transpiring so that the readers, Theophilus being one of them, magistrate most likely, being able to have his faith strengthened in what actually was going on. We'll talk a little bit about this. So, part two of Acts. Man, we're flying through Acts. We'll cover it one night. The Christian Missionary journey in chapter 12, this is Paul and his first missionary journey. And then included in this is the Jerusalem Council. It's interesting to see how when Paul had his missionary journeys, especially in his first, uh, the first one, you see a, a pattern of him going to cities but then backtracking and maintenancing the relationships that were built during that time. And again, we see this summary statement of what had taken place up to the point, Acts 16 and verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in faith and were increasing in number daily. Souls were being saved. This next section, wide outreach through Paul's two missionary journeys from chapter 16 through 1920. And again, a summary statement. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Luke is inviting the reader to look and see what God is doing as the word was progressing and spreading to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then finally, to Jerusalem and then to Rome, chapters 19 through 28. And again, this section of the Gentiles is exclusively about Paul. It's not a biography, really, but it's descriptive of what Paul is doing. And the scene, or the shift of emphasis really is gone away from the disciples, uh, from the disciples to Paul. And so we have this final statement where Paul is in prison. He's there in Rome. He's been there two years. We don't know exactly what's happened or what happens. We're kind of left hanging. But verse 30, it says, and Paul stayed two full years in his own rented quarters. He was in house arrest. And was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. Again, what happens to Paul? He eventually dies for his faith, but we find that out really through church history. We don't see that included in Luke's gospel. And I personally believe that whether or not Luke wanted to include it or could include it, made it, maybe, you know, Luke wrote this before Paul actually passed away. I don't think that really speaks to the point. The point of Luke's gospel is the gospel is going. It's spreading to literally all the ends of the earth, and it has reached the New York City of the earth at that time, the metropolis, Rome. And Paul was going to stand before Caesar, he was going to be used by God to speak the gospel to very influential people. Okay. So that being said, it's good for us to go back and revisit the theme of Acts in light of this. In particular, that the gospel will spread to the ends of the earth. But let's qualify that. But not without difficulty. So we see the gospel being spread. We see the church enduring persecution from multiple groups, from Jewish leadership, from Jewish individuals. In fact, we could say 
from pre-Christians? I mean, who was the most famous pre-Christian to persecute the church? It's the one that most of Acts is about, ironically enough. We see persecution from Gentile individuals and then from the state itself, from the Gentile state. And underneath this as well, as we see the gospel spreading to the earth, but not without difficulty, it shouldn't surprise us that Israel's rejection of the gospel is the continuation of their history to the messengers of God. They were perpetually hard-hearted and rebellious. In fact, let's look there real quick. Because I think this is what Luke is trying to do in showing that the gospel, the message of salvation going to the Gentiles, really is, is not only prophesied, in the Old Testament, but it's the natural consequences, natural consequence of the Jews hardening their hearts to the king. Verse 51, Stephen is saying here, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just, this is key, you are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you did not keep it. A biting criticism of of these who, of all people, should have been able to recognize the Messiah. But lest we forget that the gospel is for all, chapter 8 and verse 1, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. So, yes, the gospel is going forward. Yes, it would face obstacles. It would, it would reach the ends of the earth without dif- uh, certainly with difficulty, but it would save the most unlikely of individuals, at least from a human standpoint. What a blessing that is. And then secondly, Christ will build his church. I just put a slight qualifier here. But not without bumps in the road. Okay. What do we mean by that? Well, the availability of new revelation, I use a technical term here, the diaspora. This is basically those Jews that had been scattered throughout the Palestine area. So it's not like all of the Jews of the region lived there in Jerusalem. They were scattered throughout all over. Okay. The availability of new revelation to the diaspora was not simultaneous, nor was it immediately understood. This is really a unique feature of the book of Acts in that those who are the leaders of the new church are still figuring things out. Let's look at Acts chapter 10. We'll see how this plays. Verse 9. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop on the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter says, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Look at verse 17. 
Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, who's a Gentile, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. Is my, am I that raspy? Sorry. I appreciate it. So basically, the point is this. Even Peter, a leader in the church, is figuring things out. To be sure, these are men indwelt by the Holy Spirit. To be sure, they were studying the word night and day. But they didn't have the luxury of having all 66 books of the canon available to them. And I think at times when we you know, study and we think about those people in the church, we kind of think back to their understanding as if it is as clear as ours. And so this is really helpful to understand, especially through the lens of what we would call progressive revelation, okay? Which means that God is giving information not to contradict previous revelation. He's not contradicting. But Christ, having come and fulfilled the law, offering himself as the perfect and final sacrifice, changes things. And that's a good thing. And so as a result, the ramifications of these changes and the Old Testament and now New Testament implications, they took time. Let's look at Acts chapter 18 to see another example of this. Verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. So clearly not a novice, not a new convert. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when, Aquila and, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and exclaimed, explained to him the way of God more accurately. That's noteworthy, especially in the context of how we see things playing out in Acts and understanding this as a descriptive book, okay? So Christ will build his church, but there's slow growth. Jewish authorities also actively suppressed gospel teaching and understandably held powerful influence throughout the diaspora. So place yourselves, plop yourselves in, in these individual shoes or sandals or whatever footwear they had. Okay? So you have these apostles, followers of Jesus Christ, teaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and then them going to synagogue, which they've done and their parents have done and their grandparents and great-grandparents have done for years, and now the people in the synagogue are saying, no, 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 don't listen to those guys. Keep doing what, you're, what, what you've always done. This, this Jesus individual, is, he's a cult leader. He's, he's whatever. What confusion must there have been? I mean, seriously, just for a Joe lay person, or Isaac lay person, whatever. I mean, just, you know, this, just the person who's trying to, to figure things out. And so what we see here is Christ will build his church that true followers of Christ will be taught. They will understand the way because now the Holy Spirit is helping to teach them and affirm them. You have people like the Bereans, for example, who received Paul 
And what do they do after they hear him? They go back and they search the scriptures themselves. They test this teaching and they find it to be true. Okay? So as we're looking at the theme of Acts here, the gospel spreading through the ends of the earth, Christ building his church, you say, okay, that's great, this is nice, but how does this relate to me? Okay, so let's go back to that little, that kind of silly illustration at the beginning. People who felt ill-equipped to do the work of the ministry being handed the baton, seeing what Jesus had done, seeing him conquer death, seeing him speak to nature, and it listened. And now he's gone. So this is where I think, honestly, a text outside of Acts is most helpful to see the application of Acts. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and I know in the context of Hebrews 12, it's looking back to Old Testament saints. I know that. So you have these Hebrews, you have these individuals looking at Old Testament saints in their example, but they're also being handed a baton. They're seeing this great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so in easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What's the race set before us? That we have a part in God's plan for this age. Namely, for the gospel to go forward and for the church to be built. We have a part in that plan. Let us take our eyes off of the things that entangle. Let us remove the sins and even the non-sins that trip us up and distract us. And let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So if the author and perfecter of our faith experienced difficulty, then certainly we can expect the same. And in fact, the next verse here in Hebrews chapter 12, 3, consider this so that you don't lose heart, so that you don't give up. Because... When we read the book of Acts and we see some grandiose things and then we see some normal things and then we look at our lives and we look at this thing that we're doing in church, I mean, it can seem less significant than what's going on in here. It can seem normal. It can seem kind of mundane. But can I tell you that we haven't been handed a baton simply so that we just won't blow it. Like, all right, protect this. Don't mess it up. That's not what we've been called to do. No, if you're in Christ, you've been called to run this race that God has seen fit, not because of your intrinsic righteousness, not because of the virtue of coming to church on a Super Bowl Sunday, not because of anything like that, but because in his good plan, because of his sovereignty, what we heard this morning, he wants you to run this race he wants you to persevere in difficulty. He wants you to have the impact with those unbelievers in your lives or the believers in your lives so that you might bring God glory and they might be built up or even brought to Christ. That's significance. This is why we're here on earth. This is what we're doing. We're not just simply wasting our time. We're not just reading a book that's 2,000 years old and... and getting smarter. 
you know, people are dying and going to hell today. You know, so, so where do we play in with all that? And you know what? It might just be one person that we make a dent in their lives for. Just one. But isn't that a life well lived? And isn't that how Christ builds his church? That's what this is about. That's. I think when, we're, when our eyes are in scriptures, when our eyes are in Christ, that becomes enough. It's when our eyes can look out and when we can become distracted, when it becomes just kind of mundane and boring. And it becomes the ho-hum of life. The, the necessary, we wouldn't call it evil, but the necessary evil of being the Christian. And, and you know, to see souls saved, to see souls grow and study the word, and to see them persevere in the midst of difficulties and to come alongside them, what a blessing that is. That's why we're studying the book of Acts, because it's part of God's word. And we look forward to see our church history we look forward to see what God has done in our past and ultimately where the gospel is going and then our role in that. Okay, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this book. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that as we look back at these heroes of the faith, Lord, these are brothers and sisters in Christ, really, that we will one day see face to face. But Lord, we at some level are taking, are, are, are taking a baton that has been handed off by them. And Lord, we don't know how long the race is going to last. We don't know how long you're going to have us run it. And we don't know really what kind of race we're going to run. It may have varying levels of difficulty at different times. And just given the souls in this room, there might be varying levels of difficulty in the race that you've called us to. Some may have an easier path. Some may have a more difficult path. But Lord, you've called us to this race. Lord, may we endure well. May we persevere well. May we be reminded that you are going to accomplish your plan. And Lord, what a blessing it is to be a part of it and not to be an obstacle in it. Lord, may we rejoice in the role that you've given us, knowing that our operation here on earth, disciple-making, evangelizing, seeing souls edified, Lord, really, that's a limited time opportunity. We have one shot at this life, one shot to, to, to make it worth the most. May we invest in what the church invests in, what, what you designed the church to invest in. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.